Aloha. This is Catherine Cruz. Mahalo for joining us. Hawaii Talks on the Conversation. Today we have a music hanaho for you. As we honor our veterans, we'll revisit our interview with our honorary French Council General. He shared a song dedicated to the heroes of Hawaii's 442nd. We'll replay our interview with classical pianist Alpin Hong, who shares some of his unlikely interests, extreme sports and piano. Who knew they could coexist? We'll return to our interview with renowned ukulele master Taimani Gardner to hear about the visual production she's created as a companion to her Hawaiiki album. Plus, we reshare our talk story with up-and-coming local artist Kailana, whose bluesy tunes headline our recent Indie 808 concert series in the Atherton Performing Arts Studio. Get comfy and turn up the volume. This is The Conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. I'm Catherine Cruz. Today we have a Hanaho show featuring some of our recent interviews with local musicians or featuring music about Hawaii. With tomorrow being Veterans Day, we start with the story from across two continents. It's a story of gratitude from another time and place and a heartfelt gesture from Bruyere, France. Guillaume Maman is the Honorary French Council General in the islands. We talked to him in November of 2022, not long after he learned of a song called Aloha that residents of a retirement home, along with elementary school students from a town there, created. It was a way to thank the Hawaii soldiers of the highly decorated 442nd Regimental Combat Team for their heroic efforts to liberate them during World War II. They asked that he share the story and the music with us here in Hawaii. In uh, 1944, October 18 and 19, 1944, the 1442 from uh, Hawaii uh, came and rescued that small little village uh, in France called Bruyere. And the people of Bruyere uh, are so grateful about uh, their liberation. So even um, 77 years later, uh, they continue to show their gratitude and they made a video that was uh, beautiful that I received from one of uh, the the person that is part of that village. And what I loved about the video is, uh, so it's a song to continue to thank the veterans uh, of what they did. And the song is their message of Aloha back to the uh, the, um, 10442. And and what I love about it is because it came from uh, people from uh, four generations. You have all the people that were alive in 1944. They were part of the uh, the people that were rescued, but uh, their children, their great great uh, their grandchildren, and their great grandchildren are part of these videos. So if you hear the video, you hear uh, the, the, the first singer is an older lady and then it goes, uh, you know, younger and younger. And uh, it involves all the people of the village. And it's so beautiful because we want to make sure that the legacy of the 10442 continues for many generations. It's not just to thank them for one generation, but continues uh, uh, that, that, that gratitude that those people have, that the people of France have for the entire uh, U.S. Army, but specifically here in in Bruyere, there in Bruyere, they they love to uh, to to continue to honor the hundred four fourteen. Yeah, because you have to keep the stories alive. Exactly, exactly. Otherwise, if it disappears, we'll never know what happened. And the sacrifice that the hundred four fourteen did is 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 tremendous. And we see how many casualties they had. Uh, the hundred battalion was called the Purple Heart Battalion uh, because of the number of deaths and wounded that they had uh, during uh, the campaign in Italy and in France. Well, describe your reaction when you heard the song. I, I have to say, it was very emotional. And uh, I had tears in my eyes because it was, um, uh, once again, it's the fact that there were so many people involved. Those are small villages. Bruyere is actually a sister city with Honolulu, but Bruyere only has 3,000 people. So it's really a small little village. It had a tremendous significance in terms of war strategy 
and I, I can talk about it if you want, but but he was surrounded by four hills uh, that uh, that the German had a very strong position. And that's the reason why it was a turning point in the war, uh, in, uh, in the Second World War. Uh, but it's actually a very small village, uh, but uh, the mayor of uh, Honolulu in 1961, it was uh, Mayor Neil Blaisdell, decided to go to Bruyere and make uh, Bruyere a sister city with Honolulu. Uh, so there were tremendous significance. So uh, uh, when I, I heard that, uh, that the video, the fact that they continue uh, to honor uh, the 10442 and it hasn't stopped and they continue to send their message of Aloha and that's what the song is all about is uh, once again to, to tell them what, what they think Aloha means and how they can give it back. Okay well let's uh, share some of that uh, song with our listeners. So translate for us. Yes, yes, it's beautiful. So they say those those little soldiers came and rescue us, and we want to make sure that we continue to thank them. And um, they say that l'histoire est gravée dans nos terres means the, the, their their story or or history is um, engraved uh, in our ground, and we want to make sure that we continue to perpetuate uh, this history. So that's uh, s- some of the lyrics uh, they're talking about, and uh, and they talk about uh, their collier de fleurs means their lays that they want to give back uh, to those people, and they wish um, they can have the, the the soldiers of the 144 to come back so they can give them their their version of Ah, uh, so their their flower lay. Exactly, flower <laughs> yeah. lay. Exactly. And so, you know, this was uh, put together by members of this town. Uh, it involved the a retirement community. And, and the young children there. Exactly, and that's what I love about it because it involved the entire community from, um, I, I saw some of the people were over 90, uh, 90 years old. Uh, and then we see in the video some uh, five-year-old uh, children t- uh, singing. So it really involved the entire community. There's a gentleman after that who comes with his guitar and sings in English uh, also to bring, um, you know, that, that uh, sister city relationship. Uh, but that's what is, it's, it's very emotional and, uh, and uh, I love listening to that song. And yeah, like I said, I, I don't tear easily, but I had tears in my eyes when I heard that yeah. because uh, to continue this gratitude. You know, it's so important. I, I always say that, you know, my mother was alive in 1944 or so when the, uh, the, the American army came. And so um, it means a lot to her, but she told us the story. So it means a lot to me as well. And I tell the story to my children. It means a lot to them as well. So it's, it's important that we continue to show um, our love for uh, our rescuers and our uh, that this is an important thing that we uh, we continue saying, and so specifically in that uh, region of, uh, of France. And we should mention that you did go back to that town for a big anniversary. Yes, yes, thank you. So in uh, 2019, that was the 75th anniversary of uh, the Battle of Bruyere and Bifontaine. So on October 18 and 19, 2019, we uh, went to uh, Bruyere. We were invited by the mayor, Mayor Yves Bonjean, that uh, was kind enough to invite us. Uh, mayor Caldwell came um, as well as a delegation from the city. Um, um, U.S. Representative Case came as well, uh, and we had a pretty big delegation of people from Hawaii, sons and daughters of the 10442 came as well. So we had a, it was a big ceremony. There were hundreds of people coming. We had a um, um, someone who came and uh, danced for us. So there was a uh, hula presentation uh, in the uh, area where the 10442 fought uh, in that uh, those fields, in those mountains. So uh, once again, there was a, a, a powerful moment that we had. And that's when and we had people meeting uh, other people. I want to talk about the, the, the lost uh, battalion, the rescue of the lost battalion. There was a, a horrible battle. Uh, a Texas battalion was uh, stuck 
basically on the hills. And there were, at the time, uh, 275, uh, but they rescued about 215, and they sent the 1442 uh, that was tired. They already had many, many battles, and there were actually more casualties uh, uh, to save 115 of those Texas uh, soldiers. Uh, they either, they had 800 casualties, so it means they were um, um, killed in action, missing in action, and wounded in action. So, so there were more people that, that perished and uh, were wounded than they actually rescued. So when those two families met uh, during that anniversary 75 years ago, um, I have a good friend of mine, Brian Kitashima, his father uh, fought in, uh, in that battle, and he came with his two sisters, and they met uh, the children of the people that they rescued. So that was a powerful and emotional moment. Everybody was hugging. And those people that uh, they rescued from Texas said, you know, we wouldn't be alive if your father didn't have the bravery to come and rescue uh, our father. So it's just so important to remember the sacrifices, to think about our allies and what those uh, brave young men did. Incredible time. And especially when you know, uh, so the 10442 was uh, pretty much entirely uh, uh, composed of uh, Nisei veterans, second generation uh, Japanese, uh, Nisei soldiers, sorry, second generation uh, Japanese soldiers. Uh, their parents, their uncles and uh, aunties were in internment camps and they volunteered to fight in, uh, you know, for the U.S. Army. They all volunteered, uh, were sent to France, a place they, most of them have never been before, have never heard before, and they show so much bravery. The 10442 is the most decorated unit in the history of American warfare for its size and length of service. So they they showed more loyalty and devotion to uh, to America uh, than anybody else. And it was important when I, I talked to them, um, first of all, they don't like to talk too much about the war, and I never, mm, uh, out of respect, I never, um, you know, asked too, too many questions. But when they open up and they talk to us about it, they said it was so important to them. Their family themselves was telling them, um, you know, don't dishonor the family, death before dishonor. So fight uh, as a brave man, and and uh, and they did, they really did, and yeah. uh, so that's why it's it's important to us. Well, we thank you for sharing the story, so we can bring uh, kind of that spirit of that town and share it across the ocean. Yes. Uh, here in the Pacific. And that's exactly what the, the, the people from uh, from this village that sent me the video wanted to make sure that I, I distribute it to all the people here in uh, in Hawaii uh, so they can share their, their love for Hawaii. Well, mahalo and merci. <laughs> merci. That was Honorary French Council General Guillaume Maman sharing the story of a song titled Aloha. It was composed by the residents of Bruer, which has a sister city relationship with Honolulu. We'll be back with more of our Music Hanaho show after the break. Support for The Conversation comes from Skog Rasmussen, LLC, designing solutions for community engagement, project strategy, government relations, and grants services. Learn more at skograsmussen.com. On the next Fresh Air, as we approach Veterans Day, a meditation on war and its consequences, we hear from writer Elliot Ackerman, a Marine who was deployed in Iraq and Afghanistan five times. Also, historian Matthew Delmott talks about African Americans in World War II, the contributions they made, and discrimination they faced. Join us. Fresh air, beginning this afternoon at 3, following Science Friday. Support for The Conversation comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors, Bavarian motor experts, and Chaminade University.
You're back with the conversation and our music Hanaho show. The recent Hawaii Book and Music Festival uh, included a mix of live and online events featuring author awards, panels, and a writing workshop. HBR was a sponsor of the event. And the force behind the festival, Roger Jelinek, hopes to bring the festival back in person next year. One of the musicians who helped with that effort was concert pianist Alpin Hong, who moved to the islands a few years ago and made his Oahu debut last month. Hong is steeped in the classics, but manages to combine them with his eclectic passions that include video games. The conversation Stephanie Hahn spoke with Hong last month. So when Roger approached me about doing this festival, and of course because of COVID, they had gone virtual for several years, they wanted to bring it live. And in my performing career, I've always, with the various outfits that I've visited, um, I've always been interested in kind of the fundraising underwriting aspect of it, because I believe that is the lifeblood of the arts to make sure that there is firm financial foundation so that they can be sustainable. And so he pitched in the ideas like, well, what do you think we could do together? I said, well, at the very beginning, because I know you're not live yet, but what can I do to help you get there? You're a musician who has had a lot of influences, and some of the yeah. things that you're interested in are quite unusual, yeah. i.e. technology and video games, yes. martial arts, extreme sports. We do not associate this <laughs> in our naivete, poten- potentially. We don't associate this with classical music and That's classical musicians. Yes, well, you know, extreme sports and, I don't know, breaking fingers uh, is not something what agents or uh, whether or not they're talent agents or insurance agents want to hear. Uh, I have tamped that down a little bit. I'm not as young as I used to be and I have children now, so I'm kind of connected to the tapestry of life more than I have been before and I have more regard for my own health. But, you know, I'm a child of the 80s and, you know, the Nintendo Entertainment System came out when I was eight years old. And even when I was practicing piano, uh, sorry, I started when I was four years old, it was very hard for Bach and Beethoven and Mozart to compete with Mario, Zelda, and Metroid in these games that I came up. Of course, now gaming has become a recognized art form in its own with incredible music attached. And, and so that evolution, I've really found makes it very useful for me in communicating with younger audiences. Uh, the fact that I can make those connections between the master works and the master composers of yesteryear and the popular music that they're, that they're hearing today in, in television and movie and video games. And I think that's probably the reason why I still have a performing job because You know, when I go into a community, even one that has may not even be fans of classical music, uh, I always try to put something in my program that that tweaks their memory and brings them back to something that they recognize. And in this particular program, it will be uh, a medley in the stuck in the middle of a very famous classical piece, Malagueña, is uh, used to be a favorite encore of Vladimir Horowitz. uh, But I'm putting my own spin on it, putting a Star Wars and Harry Potter and Spider-Man and Super Mario in there for all those people that are listening. That's great. So what is the link between these masters of the past and the Nintendo theme song or Harry Potter? I mean, what is the link? Uh, the link, of course, is a lot of it is, is in the music, the harmony that underlies it, the rhythms, the cultural references sometimes. I was just explaining to a group of high school students near Seattle just this last weekend, and I was using the swimming part when Mario starts swimming in any video game. It turns into a waltz in three beats. One, two, three, one, two, three. And that kind of, that feeling of three, that extra beat has always been used in, in popular Genres like like movies like Pirates of the Caribbean, for example, is in three da da dum bum 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 uh, to describe kind of uh, unstable things like water, and of course that classical waltz is a, is a classic Viennese dance based on that, and so the very fact that that is being used in a video game like that it belies this this change of feeling from the more four four stable thing about Mario walking on land. Oh, that's fascinating. What you're saying then is when the Mario character enters this kind of fantasy state, he actually is moving back in time musically to a classical music period. So it's like a time jump. It is. And of course, time jumps are 
in so many popular media these days, the multiverse, of course, is in everything. You almost can't watch any popular media these days without having some multiverse of some kind. And what I always try to present is a cultural context for music. So what I find is that the fact that we are maybe several generations removed from classical music being played everywhere and just kind of in the national and popular consciousness means I think it, it takes a little bit of context, for example, to know what is an orchestra, what makes up the orchestra, why are certain instruments used to to create certain emotional responses from, from people? You know, what are, what are the, the technical limitations of a violin that makes violin virtuosity so incredible, impressive to see that they're able to only use four strings to be able to create this blizzard of incredible notes? Even describing what a grand piano is, and a lot of people may not realize a grand piano is the most sophisticated digital input device until the invention of the computer. There are 30,000 moving parts in it. Uh, there's a reason why piano technicians are an incredibly highly technically skilled craftsmen. When you take all those things, and and like the, I think the White Book and Music Festival is, is wonderful and it relates back to that, is that a lot of the music festivals I've seen, the entire point of it is to increase knowledge and to open your mind to different worlds, different spaces, different narratives, and different music. One of your themes, then, it seems to me, is a concept of inclusivity. Absolutely, yes. And the idea that anyone can participate. So tell me, how did you come to participate in this world of classical music? Uh -huh. Was it willing? Was it unwilling? Did you have... I, parents who are pushy? I have a very simple to? answer for that. What? And uh, as for many kids of my generation, my mom made me. Uh, <laughs> you know, there aren't many four-year-olds who are like, oh, I would like to dedicate most of my day to being alone in a room with a, an instrument slaving over playing all these little black dots in the right order. Uh, and I told you video games came out when I was young, too, so I, I had that pulling me away as well. But yes, I, I think that my, my parents considered classical music to be uh, Western civilizations, one of its highest accomplishments. They were post-war Korean, not refugees necessarily, but they came in that wave of immigration that ha uh, happened in the 70s. My father came here in 72. I was born in New Jersey in 76. Shortly after the birth of my younger brother, uh, we moved to a town, Kalamazoo in Battle Creek, Michigan, you know, relatively small towns where we were the only, uh, some of the very few Koreans that were in town. And, you know, now we live in the only Asian majority state in the union. And so this has been a massive cultural shift to just see how different that is. And there's, uh, this is obvious to anyone who, who becomes a citizen here, even after a few months, that connection to history is so deep and so pervasive and it's everywhere and it's impossible to ignore. But it's also so beautiful because it really allows this sense of togetherness that there is no one on the outside. You know, if you're if you are open to just you know kind of breaking down those barriers that we erect between ourselves and you know and other groups of people, that aloha spirit, as they call it, that that context of ohana, a family that we're all in it together. As an artist, that's an amazing place to flourish, right? Because it there's there's safety in it, and when you when you feel safe, you can create. It's very hard to create if you are struggling to survive. Right. Saying also that safety is key to creativity, to growth, yes. to understanding. Yeah. Obviously, there are uh, great works of art do come from, you know, areas, times and, and occasions of, of great pain and strife. You know, Russian music, you know, under Stalin was, you know, particularly uh, incredible because they were, you know, they were railing against these chains that were really put over their artistry internally in order to have that creative impulse to be able to want to add the pantheon of literature or music or visual artistry there is a certain inner confidence and peace you need to be able to take that risk to do that and sometimes people have to go you do have to go through many painful places to get there but when it happens and that creative impulse hits if you're in a if you are in a safe place to do that, where you have the time to concentrate on it, that's when I think really profound things happen. 
Is there anything that you'd like to add? Well, I just want to make a personal plug to for anybody who uh, doesn't have plans next Thursday night to come to hear this concert. It is my debut in Oahu. I've had the privilege of playing in all of the other islands multiple times, but this is my live solo concert debut, and I am planning to bring the roof down. So uh, awesome. whether or not you are a piano fan, whether or not you're a classical fan, if you just want to have your mind blown for an evening, please join us and support this wonderful cause. One of the pieces, the, the first piece I'm gonna play, uh, the name of the campaign is called Creative Spark 2.0, uh, relaunching the Hawaii Book and Music Festival. So there literally is a piece that I learned just for this program called Etincel, which in French means sparks by the um, composer Moskowski. And then the whole point is that uh, I'm marketing myself as breaking barriers, which is that's what the Hawaii Book and Music Festival does. It breaks down barriers. And so I'm going to play one of the weirdest themes and variations ever, but it's based on perhaps the most famous variation theme of all time by Paganini. You know, that A minor theme. But this this piece is truly wild, and it's called Desperate Measures. And then the finale is going to be the greatest piece ever written for the piano by an American, Rhapsody in Blue by George Gershwin. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Aloha. That was classical pianist Alpen Hong, who moved to Hawaii a few years ago and made his Oahu debut last month. He was talking with HPR's Stephanie Hahn. Virtuoso Taimani recently showcased a visual production titled Habaike at the Hawaii Theater. It featured her Nahoku Hanohano winning uh, album of the same name. The Conversations Lillian Song sat down with her in our studios this past August, where she reflected on the strength of community and shared the healing power of music. The last time we saw you, Habaike had just come out. And since we talked to you, you picked up some nice hardware. Three Nahoku Hanohano Awards, one being Favorite Entertainer of the Year, and that is voted by the audience. Yes. That one's absolutely dedicated to the fans because that was by public vote. So thank you to everyone who made the time to vote. Thank you. Also winning Instrumental Album of the Year and the fun track Pipeline's Daughter, Instrumental Composition of the Year as mm-hmm. well, all from the album Hawaiiki. And that's what you're sharing with audiences at the Hawaii Theater. Yes. And this album is very special to me. It was dedicated to my late mother who passed very suddenly in 2018. And she was from Samoa. So this album, just what an honor to also have the Nahokus really recognize that. And it was very special to win that. That was for mom. Yeah. So... It's a special show, and I've worked so hard on it. And I would always like to say to people, if you've always wanted to see me live or you're an avid fan, this is the show. It means a lot. I'm bringing saying. it from mom and the family. Yes. It's also a space where we as the audience are there to see you as well as to partake in that collective experience engage with our favorite artists, the music, but also with each other, that energy that you get from a live performance. Yes, it is a symbiotic relationship, I think, for us artists to connect with the audience. You guys are 50% of the show. We, you know, we can't play alone, so please come. We have in-person tickets, low ticket alert though, and also very proud to offer live stream tickets and 100% of the profits are going to the Maui Strong Fund to help the, the people of Maui. And so, you know, you guys can help and support by watching the show on the live stream, which will be available on hawaiitheater.com or my website. 
let's tap back to your time at home, mm. Maui for you. Yes. That's part of your backyard. I'm sure you've done the Mac many times. Yes, absolutely. I've played many places in Maui, uh, the Mac, also the Kapalua area. I've played there often as well, as well as Wailea. And so it is very heartbreaking to see. I, th- I feel like all of Hawaii is kind of mourning for Maui and, and what we are seeing, you know, our people have to go through. I honestly think we're all a little bit traumatized. Mm-hmm. And we're having to find ways to heal and also find our power. What is our talent and how can we help? And how can we tap into that? So, mm-hmm. Find your mana. Mm-hmm. So for our listeners today with you here in studio, I'd like to open up the mic and just have you play something. You know, music is healing. Music is something we all interact in our unique ways. And with mm-hmm. you here today, I'd just like to have you with your special voice share something with us on the conversation. Yeah, so I brought my ukulele and I would love to do that. And we'll just see what comes out. from the ashes just created just now felt it on the spot yeah that's the beauty of being an artist that you have that within you to to really just let it flow and that is so seamless Mm -hmm. you practice so much yeah yeah all that practice really does come in handy and so I can kind of connect more to the emotion and to the images in my head so I kind of just created the visuals you know the devastation of what has happened so far and then hopefully feel like they can rise from these ashes and we can all rise from the ashes mm-hmm. and and have that hope yes gorgeous Taiwane. thank you as somebody who's creating music how do these melodies come to you is it quick inspiration or more methodical 
It's been a different process, especially this album. I decided to come up with a melody that was loosely translated in my head and then went to Pierre and kind of actually put it down and, and fleshed it out, which is very different from how I used to of practicing the song a hundred times and then going into the studio. So I really created it with Pierre Grill at Rendezvous Recording it back in Manoa. I love that place. Creating this album. And I looked at it, I guess, a more mature way, if you would say. Yes, I I can shred, which I love and people love, but I wanted to create music that was just easy to listen to, fun to listen to, rather than basing it on technique. It was more of like, does this sound good? So it was a different way of approaching it. Mm -hmm. Your actual voice is also emerging. Yes, I feel a little bit more in touch with my voice. It's been a, a challenge to feel comfortable because the voice is such a personal instrument too. And I did all of my work on my ukulele, so it kind of took me a while to find my confidence with my voice. What really helped with that was actually touring, just doing the same thing every night, singing every night, and that kind of helped me to find my voice. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Wonderful. And on that note, as we get set to say goodbye, why don't you play us out with something from the album? Okay, sure. So this song is called Bora Bora Sunset, and it's just a little snippet so you guys come to the show. I'll see you guys Friday. Ukulele virtuoso Taimani talking to HBR's Lillian Song. Taimani is currently on a break after recently playing a series of sold-out shows on the West Coast and here on Oahu. We'll be back with more of our Music Hanaho show after the break. Cooperative is pursuing a multi-year lease for a new hydropower plant on the Waimea River, which would divert a rolling average of 11 million gallons of water a day. But community members pushed back, saying DLNR should require KIUC to complete a full environmental impact statement to investigate the project. The hydrologist Matt Rosner hopes KIUC completes an environmental impact statement. A lot of times we've used the terms renewable and green energy interchangeably. That's not always true. There are some hydropower projects out there that actually have pretty significant environmental impacts. The plantations diverted millions of gallons of water out of natural stream beds for irrigation and power, which continued long after the sugar era ended. They took away the water without anybody having any say about it. It really alienated a lot of Hawaiians from their land, all the plantations. Support energy and climate change coverage on HPR. Donate at hawaiipublicradio.org.
Welcome back to our Music Hanahoe edition of The Conversation. HBR's recent Indie 808 concert series in our Atherton Performing Arts Studio featured local up-and-coming musicians who represented a wide spectrum of sounds and genres. One of the artists who performed was Nahoku Hanohano Award-winning Keilana, who blends R&B and jazz and gives it an island feel to create a sound uniquely her own. The Conversations Russell Subiano sat down with Keilana in our studios this past August to talk about her music. The first time I heard your music, what immediately popped into my mind was Mary J. Blige. Oh, I love that. I'm going down. Oh, yes. Time on my hand. Since you've been away, boy, I ain't got no plans. No, 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 no. I also heard kind of a little bit of Maya, a little bit of Erica Badu, but your music is still distinctively you. Thank you. Am I in the ballpark of who your musical influences are? You are pretty, yeah, pretty in the ballpark. I definitely grew up listening to a lot of 90s, 2000s R&B. And so to hear those names in comparison with my own music is is a big honor. So thank you. Oh, cool. Is, is that something that your parents introduced you to? Is that kind of their, their music as well? Yeah, I would say so. My parents were very eclectic. They, they listened to a bunch of different music, but I would say there was a lot of heavy R&B influence. Uh, we had a lot of CDs. But also a part of the reason why I, I would kind of say that my music is very what I aspire for it to sound like is very neo soul, uh, with a tinge of, of you know being from the islands and 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 paying homage to that. But I grew up listening to R and B and island music and Hawaiian music. But also my grandpa was a really big influence in my music, and uh, he unfortunately passed away before he could kind of see me develop and see this into fruition. But he was a big jazz head, so yeah, yeah. So I, I think that's why there's a lot of jazz notes and, and some of my songs, especially people will listen to them and then try to recreate it or, or mm-hmm. perform it. And they're like, wait, these, these rhythms and these chord choices are kind of difficult. And, and I think that's me kind of paying tribute to, to my grandpa and jazz and, and yeah. things a little bit more complex than what meets the eye. I saw this video the other day of Carrie Underwood covering a Motorhead song. Oh, Have you seen that? No, I didn't. So I guess Carrie is on tour with Guns N' Roses and she's opening for them. Oh, wow. And so she covered this Motorhead song and there's a video of it on, on the internet. What musician or musical style would people be surprised to know that you like or that you've been influenced by? Oh, that I've been influenced by. A lot of, I would say, my music is is very heavily influenced by super emotive lyricists or songwriters. And so a lot of that kind of can stem from singer-songwriter, but also I listen to a lot of indie punk rock and stuff where like the, the lyrics are super heavy and and actually just this morning I was working out at the gym and I was listening to like my old indie rock playlist of like and there's some with metal and screamo and some people would think like there's no way she listens to that but there's just something about it that's so stark and contrasting to the type of music I do but in a way it, it helps to balance out and, and and I really enjoy it actually. So speaking of lyrics and mm-hmm. speaking of your music I did want to talk to you about some specific songs your most streamed song on Spotify is Cotton Candy Feelings. Yeah. Over 200,000 streams. Right. Pretty impressive. Thank you. In your song you sing, Never Meant for These Never Meant for These Four Walls to Be So High Now They Keep Me From The Sky Dreams Ooh, A bit of water left my tongue stained Since then I've never been the same I think these are some very introspective lyrics there. You're talking about how four walls, whether they're a prison or a defense mechanism, how they keep you from the sky of dreams. Can you talk about the story or the process behind writing that song? Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much for for bringing that up, because that is my... That was my first single I ever released. That was my first body of work. And something that I struggled with as an artist was being vulnerable and being transparent. But I realized in order to be as best of an artist as you can, you really have to take a good look at yourself and you have to be comfortable with showing parts of you that really make you you. Because listeners can tell when an artist is being you know, true to themselves or not. 
And if they don't figure it out right away, they'll figure it out over time. And that was always my fear with jumping into, okay, I want not only to be a performer or a musician, I want to be an artist. And with that song, it was like my intro into really sharing myself, yet not sharing too much. And so actually that song really highlighted a point and a time in my life where I had a hard time being vulnerable, but I was very aware that I was in a situation where it wasn't healthy for me. And I was kind of going through a little bit of like a depression. And so actually a lot of people, when they'll hear that song, they're like, oh my gosh, I love the beat and and I can just listen to the song all day. And, um, <laughs> and then I kind of laughed to myself because then I, I meet other people that are like, thank you so much, your lyrics really Really resonate with me and and that's exactly it. it it was about me fighting with the concept cotton candy feelings is I, I kind of envisioned it one day when I was at, at a fair actually I seen the person kind of like working with the sugar and then like twirling it around and it became this really big fluffy beautiful thing that really kind of if you just like put a little bit of water on it, it like turns into nothing and I think that was the concept I was going for is you know from the outside perspective to my audience I want everyone to think like oh I'm bubbly I don't have anything going wrong with me but like one small thing can really just bring me down and and I wanted to find a way to let that part of me out without sharing too much and so I put that in really deep, heavy lyrics and with nice, uh, tasteful, <laughs> fun, like music. Yeah. <laughs> I get the vibe that it is a very personal song, that it comes from a very personal place. And I think artists, I, th I feel like their job is to be vulnerable and to share experiences so that people listening, they don't feel alone. Right. Yeah. Right? The song of yours that struck me the most was Time. Mm. Something about your choice of the melody and the emotion that you sing with really resonated with me. You have this line, cause time's my enemy. Tell me about writing that song. All right, so that song, <laughs> I wrote that song very vividly about an experience that I had. I, I was actually traveling to New Zealand and I had such a beautiful experience. It was summer here, which meant it was fall there and it was like beautiful. And I had met a musician out there that actually, I would say was the catalyst to me changing and deciding to go down the route of being an artist because something different that I realized from the community of musicians I met out there were a lot of them were open about their original music versus here, a lot of them were R&B musicians. And so a lot of them had original music that they were sharing at their gigs. And I'm like, wow, this is so awesome. I don't really have a lot of spaces to do that back at home. And so I was very inspired by these, these individuals that I met. And one particular person asked me, we spent a lot of time together and he's like, hey, let me, let me hear some of your songs. And at that time I only had cotton candy feelings. And so I shelled him and I was like, oh yeah, this is all I have. And he's like, this is great. You, you should share this. Have you recorded this? And I said, no, no way. I would never record it. I only do covers and I only perform covers back home in Hawaii. And he gave me the greatest piece of advice, which was, you know, you never know if someone is going to have to hear those words. You know, you have the opportunity to change someone's perspective and you might have the opportunity to change someone's life and heal them. And for you to hold this withhold it from sharing it with the world you know you're doing a disservice not just to yourself but to the world and I was like dang well when you put it like that geez uh <laughs> so I went back home and I just remember being so appreciative of this person and the experiences that we had I knew that I was never going to see him again and so actually this song was just about knowing that this person made such a profound impact on me and I wanted to take all the intricacies of every little moment that we spent together to kind of like encapsulate that so that when I do leave I still have that that memory even though it's been it's been the years already and and that's kind of what the purpose of that song served and and that's why that's actually my favorite song being a working musician sometimes isn't about fame and fortune or even about self-expression or creating art. Sometimes it's about increasing opportunity. Mm -hmm. What kinds of opportunities have you gotten as a musician that maybe you wouldn't have gotten otherwise? Oh man, I, I could write a whole book about that. <laughs> but I've definitely gained so many experiences in the opportunities that I've got from, from being a performer and being an artist. One, I, I get to connect with way more people 
uh, easier because I, I'm a very naturally introverted person. And so you won't really catch me being the first person to try and like be out there. But following my passion and being a performer has allowed for me to hone in on on my my craft and my art and share it. And, and in a way, it kind of brings people to me, which is great because that allows me to connect with people from all over the world. And I get to hear so many stories and so many experiences that really continue to inspire me and then I, and then it kind of just goes into the cycle of I get inspired I've got to travel way more than I think I would have ever if I've before I got into music I, I thought I was going to be an architect that's kind of what I thought I was going to do but yeah to just see now like I, I actually just got back from being on the east coast for two weeks I met the president of the United States uh, I saw that <laughs> yeah, on Instagram that was, so yeah that awesome. was crazy yeah. uh, I performed at the White House I've got to go to Japan like I've just got to experience so many things that I know for a fact I would have never been able to do in my lifetime had I not kind of just put myself out there to be an artist and perform. What a lesson for young people out there. Put yourself out there, follow your dream, yeah. look at all the cool stuff that could happen. Right, yeah. Right on. <laughs> Kaylana, thank you so much for coming into the station to talk story with me. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. That was local musical artist Kaylana talking with HBR's Russell Subiono. Kaylana recently announced that she'll be splitting her time between Hawaii and New York as she continues to pursue her music dreams. And that is it for our Music Hanaho show today. You can listen back to our program on the conversation page of our HBR website or sign up for the conversation podcast on Spotify or Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. Our program is produced by Russell Subiono, Lillian Song, Stephanie Hahn, and Mark Ladau. The Backyard Quiz theme written for us by John DeMello. Our theme music courtesy of Gypsy 808. I'm Catherine Cruz. Join us on Monday for more of the conversation. Music